0: Think of Farmer Joe, and, you know, develop a mobile home park in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and has this huge cash in cash and doesn't even know, <laughs> doesn't have efficient payroll systems, doesn't have, you know, doesn't even understand the internet, and still one of like is proven resistant, you know, recession-resilient real estate, so we bring in some efficiency models, we bring in some technology, and then take what they do and then improve upon it and just keep everything in records, that's, you know, that's the investor side of it. We could bring the efficiency model to it and you know, technology advances to it.
1: Welcome to Investing in the U.S., a podcast for real estate investors, business owners and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. Join Reid as he interviews go-getters, risk-takers and the best in the business about their journey towards financial freedom and the sheer joy of creating something from nothing. Today on the show I have the pleasure of speaking with Jonathan Huttall. Jonathan is the fund manager at Midwest Cap Park Capital, which is a private real estate investment firm providing accredited investors with exclusive access to high-yielding investments in the mobile home park space. Jonathan is also the founding director of a digital marketing agency called Revenue Ascend, which helps small businesses generate powerful leads and conversion systems, marketing automation and follow-up, dynamic call tracking, and detailed analytics. To top it all off, Jonathan was selected by Habitat for, F- for Humanity youth board as one of the top social media influences in Chicago. So I'm really pumped and excited to have him on the show today to share his incredible knowledge and insight into the space that what he does and what he does best. But enough of me, let's get him out here. G'day, Jonathan. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Thank you, man.
0: Thank you for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. Mate,
1: my, my pleasure. I, the first question I ask all my guests as they come on this show <laughs> is rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid.
0: Well, that's a great question. So I... I grabbed my little red wagon and went door to door and sold <laughs> rocks and flowers from our, our garden to my neighbors and went door to door. So I got used to selling to people face to face and use that money to buy toys, and toys are us.
1: Awesome. So, and rocks, what type of rocks were you selling?
0: Just random rocks. I was like, a you know, five or six year old kid. Like, Hey, you want to buy some rocks? <laughs> I remember there's
1: a picture of me selling small bags and like, I'm talking, you know, like a sandwich bag, like a Ziploc of like dirt from my parents' garden. Like, I don't know, looking back, like the product wasn't very good, right? Like who's going to use a small bag of sandwich dirt, a small bag of, Sandwich bag of dirt, full with rocks and nothing of, uh, of, of any good use, but um, but awesome stuff. So, so bring us into your journey through what you've created today. Did you have a day job before you started in your current um, role? And I'm also very interested w- with a follow-up comp- question about the ecosystems you've created with your two different businesses today.
0: Sure, sure. Great questions. Uh, so I did from my, I'm 41 now, but my 20s, I did uh, retail sales. And I did a BB, which was like, back in the day, it was like, you know, malls, you know, pre, pre-COVID, pre-ecom, <laughs> you know, boom, malls were the spot to go. So in my 20s, right out of college, I went, you know, I liked fashion, and like, I worked at BB, and like, you know, I just wanted to make cute girls, and that was like the spot to go to. <laughs> Ended up being the number one seller in the country. Uh, it was making a good income, like 150, 160 a year. And by the whole time, I saw my dad, he... Um, you know, he was a real estate developer. I saw all the sides of what he did with real estate. And he got into mobile home parks at the same time I got into BB. And so, like, when I saw that, he's like, this is literally the best real estate that he's ever seen. And knowing, you know, just knowing my dad and being in the business for you know real estate side of all different components of real estate for, you know, 30, 40 years, I'm like, okay, let me save up to buy my first mobile home park. And so that's kind of got me into the whole mobile home park space. I was doing the retail during the day. That was my, you know, my nine to five, I guess you call it, and then two thousand ten hit crazy. You know, two thousand actually, you know, eight nine. But like our store actually did really well up until like mid two thousand nine, and then you know, craziness happened. So I'm like, let me get my real estate broker license. I've already want to get into mobile home parks, and then I just transitioned into brokering and then to you know investing into mobile home parks. But literally, just see that avenue, like the mobile home park space, was the only thing that did really really well in our in our portfolio during the last downturn. So that's what got me really excited about it. So I'm like, Hey, if they could do, you know, the craziest, you know, economic, economic downturn, this is something interesting I should get involved with. So
1: Interesting. Interesting. And so when was your first purchase of that mobile home park? Uh, 2005, five, six. Yeah. And then five, early six. Yep. What, what, what was the cap rates like back then? Because that would have been a space. That's like, the golden you know, era. <laughs> yeah. That's the golden that, era. You know, and I, I was lucky because my
0: dad gave me, gave me like, you know, I put a little bit in, he did most of it because <laughs> I was, he just wanted me to get involved with the space. But uh, yeah, that's the golden there. So when you, when you talk to mobile home park people and you're involved, obviously the multifamily side. So the big thing everyone's is like mobile home parks. Like if you talk with mobile home, mobile home park people, it's not the story that everyone wants to pitch you five years ago. Cause now everything's compressed. Cause everyone knows about the space. Now internet happened, you know, podcasts happened. Everyone knows about it. You know, you know, everyone knows about the mobile home parks, but back in the day, uh, cash and cash would be like, like 18 to 30. And, wow. <laughs> and then like a, a normal park would be 10 to 12. And like, not like in the middle of nowhere, it would be the, well, they're always on the t- second edition market, but like a quality asset would be 10 to 12. Those same parks and same masses today are like six and a half, seven. So like that's just to show you the comp- compression and how much, you know, demand is coming to our space, and it's it's, it's been eye opening, and like it's obviously validated the the business model. But that was the golden era. That's not come back. So when people say, "Hey, ten cap or eight cap and mobile home parks," yes, there are, but there's always gonna be some hair on the deal. So it's not the same as five or six years ago. Benny and Freddie came out, started financing a bunch of our you know our deals. All that changed the game. Back in the day, it was you know just ridiculous cash on cash and. Insane cap rates, not anymore.
1: <laughs> so, how are you looking at the business changing so rapidly over the last twenty-five years, and how have you kept up with the dem- one, not the demand, but the uh, probably the demand from your investors to to keep acquiring quality assets? How how have you done that with such a changing landscape?
0: Yeah, great question. So, like, well, the challenging landscape. The, it's an industry focus driven. So, like, uh, industry. So, there's about forty-four thousand communities in, in America. It's very mom and pop driven. Uh, people that have been in the space five or 10 years are going to have the go to the trade shows and know the brokers like drive through the parks, talk to the people on a day to day basis. They know, they and trust. It's just like any industry. They know, they and trust. You're going to get the deal flow. And that's the biggest component. And the big the old school park owners, like your mom and pop guys, if you can provide that value to them we're like, Hey, I'm coming to you. It's like, I own the, you know, I own a couple of parks. I'm not going to be some big private equity, even though we're, you know, a small fund, we're not a big private equity. We're not buying, you know, half a billion dollars in real estate or anything like that crazy. We're just like small owners. We love the space. We want to keep your legacy, keep your tradition, uh, throw some technology behind it. You know, that's what we want to do. And so that's kind of our value prop to the owners and to the investor side of it is like, this is an industry right for, you know, disruption basically, because it's just like, think of farmer Joe and you know, develop a mobile home park in the 60s, 70s, 80s. It has this huge cash in cash and doesn't even know, <laughs> doesn't have efficient payroll systems, doesn't have, you know, doesn't even understand the internet and still one of like as proven resistant, you know, recession resilient real estate. So we bring in some efficiency models, we bring in some technology and then take what they do and then improve upon it and just keep everything in records. That's, you know, that's the investor side of it. We could bring in the efficiency model to it and, you know, technology advances to
1: it, and so where primarily are you buying your parks these days? As the market has compressed,
0: yeah. So we like the Midwest because that's coastal cities, private equity. Uh, if you talk like we're in the Midwest, so obviously Midwest park capital, so Illinois, Wisconsin, Indiana. Even uh, we like Texas. Also, we have in our PPM. We also have uh, Tennessee. So we like states that are like not coastal focused because that also has like the high cash and cash return. And it's it's not as compressed basically. You're like I'd say, like a hundred basis, one to one fifty basis higher than like the coastal stuff, if not more.
1: Interesting, interesting. And then from a metrics point of view, what do you like to look for when you're an, analyzing a market? Because that's been the biggest thing that I've always looked at. And I've interviewed a lot of uh, mobile home park investors on the show. Kevin Buck being one of them. Yeah. Bryce Robertson being another one. Who, guys who 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 are in the industry and know it really really well. What do you look for to make sure your parks are being filled? Uh, and the occupancy is, is healthy throughout, you know, a potential recession, which yeah. we just come through in COVID.
0: Yeah. So actually our industry, to give you context behind that, our industry, there was uh, Wells Fargo is the biggest financier for our industry for our loans. And they said as of like September, October last year, like a, one of the major trade shows, uh sequel show, 94, 95% collection rate. So even with all the COVID and remember the average lot rents like $350, $400. So if they get a $1, 12, $1,400 check and they've had three of them now, and then now we even have in our, some of our tenants. We had, if you have two kids, I got a 55, you know, what was that 54, $5,500 check. That's more than their whole lot rent for like, you know, 16, 18 months. So that also factors into like people paying on time. And then additionally, about 50, 55% of most mobile home park tenants across the country. I don't know. Our industry is not, the data is not as aggregate as like multifamily. It's not super know professional data we just have to base it on and it makes logical sense but we can't say hey it's like based on this study it's not as you know like it's not when you're talking to private equity they wouldn't like they have their own data but 55 percent of it's about senior citizens and senior citizens obviously have a social security check so we don't have to worry about you know economies different downturns and then also if you look at most mobile home tenants they Most now we're going to $15 an hour and Illinois is going to $15 an hour and most states are going to $15 an hour. So that only benefits us. And then if you look at the average, we, you know, as us as investors, we want to buy just the the land and the actual parks are just a flow like a land lease communities. And then the actual lot, they actually have just own their own home and they pay 10, 15 bucks a month in insurance. And where else can you pay 10, 15 bucks (laughs) own your own home? And have that own community. Like, if you want, to, for example, for the context, if you were in Illinois, which is really high real estate taxes, across the street. So the mobile home might be like a hundred dollars a year in real estate taxes. A hundred dollars a year, across the street, is three grand for $100,000 a hundred thousand dollar house. And so, it's so you always have this influx of people want to come in because they see the savings. Because basically, just paying the taxes is less than their actual real estate like that's less than what they actually pay for the entire year so we always have a influx of that and that's what really provides that value and so our industry gives us a lot of room for error because of those dynamics basically
1: interesting and what's been the biggest thing or lessons you've learned coming through covid um i know i've learned a lot in the multifamily space but what have you guys learned in the mobile home park space during the last 12 months
0: well, if there was green sheet data, and you're probably familiar with green sheet data. So they did a study on like all the different commercial real estate asset classes, and we had a twelve percent increase in value. The next closest was uh e-com stores. E-com stores had about a 10% or industrial, I should say, industrial properties based on e-comm stores. And we were the two those two niches were the only ones that really did above positive increases in cash flow based on the previous year. And so Obviously, retail got crushed. Uh, Triple net lease got crushed. Uh, Hotels, all these different other asset classes got crushed. And those drivers, so we didn't really have the challenges. And we've always known this for our industry. We didn't have those challenges other industries really had because it comes down to supply and demand economics. You can't really develop new, new parks. It's cost prohibitive. And we always have a huge influx of people that need affordable housing. And there's approximately... 60 million Americans that need affordable housing, We're asking to live for three or $400 a month? So, and then, and so we didn't really have those challenges, which is like, it's such an anomaly. And so when you talk to people, they're like, they get it, but they're like, it's literally that, it's such an anomaly and such a game changer from other real estate classes. But there's also downsides. The downsides is you can't buy, there's not abundance of parks to buy. So, and you, you can't just buy, you know, a hundred million dollar (laughs) park. So if you have all this, you know, so when we talk to like family offices, they're like, Oh, we want to buy it. We love the space, but we want bigger deals. So you Mm -hmm. have that drawback. So it's like their sweet spot is like the three to $5 million deals. And we don't really, or maybe three to $10 million deals, especially if you're in like Florida or some of the coastal cities. And we just don't have the, the challenges of other real estate, but we also don't have the advantages of like scale of other real estate. So,
1: and that's, that's an interesting part, point that you bring up because there is so much people, so much people, so much big money from the coastal cities wanting to invest in high-yielding assets. Multifamily is not that anymore. It used to be. Mobile home parks, you're talking about how it's been compressed so much over the last 25 years. And then coupled with the fact you can't scale, but in saying that, you're now getting Freddie and Fannie getting involved in the lending space, which attracts those private equity yep. firms into yep. the space. So it's like this real weird concoction of stuff going on. Exactly. And you're trying to appease everyone, the, the private equity, obviously Freddie and Fannie are involved. So that's in bringing more people in, yep. uh, but you want the scale, but you can't have it because there's only limited by So it's this we- really, really, really weird it's like hamstrung on all sides. Like you know, you think about um, they talk in the multifamily side space, or, or stick below twenty million dollars because you won't get the institutions. You know, the institutions coming and bidding everything yep. up. But yep. then you got the other side of the coin where every man and their dog is bidding it up. Who's a newbie investor who wants to get involved in multifamily? But it's 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 interesting. You do, you have a ceiling, right? You have yep. a ceiling there, and it, it's not getting any bigger. And you can't force it. The industry can't force it. So how do you remain competitive? And maybe this brings up your technology company that you've got about getting those leads, getting the right, in front of the right sellers in order to keep your business going and to continue to grow some sort of scale um, over a period of of, of a couple of years.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great, you paint a great picture. Like we understand there's like a five-year run and like other funds, like she mentioned, some of the other fund managers, they also have another angle. So they have like Oh, Kevin has uh, parking lots. I think it is. There's another fund that has um, self storage. They always have some other component, and I understand that when you're raising more capital, you need to deploy. They just can't be like, "Hey, we have to look for one park, and we have so much capital coming in, but we can't just put it on one park because of, you know, scarcity works to your disadvantage, like we alluded to. So uh yeah so one of the ways you find deal flow is it's literally we don't understand this as a five-year run so like i love you doing this 20 years from now but it's not like multifamily or assisted living centers or other niches where we could be like hey we could just do a fund every two years for the next you know, 10 years it's not we understand the dynamic and we also know understand the dynamics that we probably have to have next fund we're going to raise more and we're going to probably have another component so probably like, we're probably looking to do an rv or assisted living centers. so we understand that dynamic Uh, It really comes down to relationships. So when you mentioned, you alluded to the technology side. So like the last MHI, which is the biggest Congress and Expo, which is the biggest industry trade shows. I was one of the 12 main speakers last year pre-COVID and they canceled it. So they did a webinar. So but I was doing the technology side, how to grow your, you know, how to bring in better clients. And so just being in front of that demographic as a thought leader on stage, national Expo, big owners, private equity, everyone sees you. So you have, you know, those relationships like, oh, by the way, I'm actually, you know, you know, sourcing, buying deals myself. So just having that relationship, that's our, like, our angle. And then also we could do, obviously, Facebook, Google, LinkedIn. If you Google anything, <laughs> literally Google anything like, uh, you know, Mobile home park fund investment funds, uh, Wall Street private equity mobile home parks. We're number one or two everywhere nationally. So you know, my agency <laughs> did all the digital marketing side of it, you know, so we could rank and we have that position and brand position. So that kind of brings mm-hmm. us the lead flow from that, end. and then for the investor side, we could say, hey, we know how to operation. We could get you know, even though we know the dynamic is like you know supply and demand, we know how to market this better, and that's the big thing. We, you know, private equity loves our industry because. It's a lot of mom and pop guys. They don't now know how to throw up a Facebook or Google ad. Like they, they literally don't even have a website half the time. So it's a it, it's, to give you context. It's like, and I've been in some other mobile uh, podcasts. It's like we're 15 years behind multifamily. It's literally that bad, and which is good. So it's great for investors. It's but like for people like us and some of the other you know, syndicators and, and funds, like we have the opportunity to run with this for the next five years because of that dynamic. It's great so but we were looking outside in like wow it's like 10 years 15 years behind
1: (laughs) it reminds me of the old adage about um digging for gold right it's not in the digging and finding the gold it's actually the guy who makes the most money supplying the spades and the shovels and the ropes and the tarps and you're in that industry (laughs) and the map you're in that industry where it's so compressed because that was the goal the cash flow was the The, goal the the Seventeen to thirty percent cash on cash back in early two thousands. Now it's compressed, and will yeah. continue to compress. I could imagine because oh, yeah. when you have a limit, you're only going to continue to compress. So you have to then be the supply store to that gold mine, right? So you're in your this analogy, it's you're the technology company, right? You have to develop your systems. And I was actually talking. Kevin Bupp has been on the show a couple of times. And he's a good friend of mine. Um, but how he's talking about just something simple that I take for granted on the multifamily side, property management there's no national property manager for mobile home parks right and that's just so that blows your mind when you think about it closely right so how do you what are the major buckets of, from the technology perspective you know whether it be advertising or property management or lead gen or just collecting revenue from the property what technology pieces are you seeing the most influential in the mobile home park space? Like that gold digging analogy I just talked about?
0: Yeah, so there actually is one group that actually is, but they're not national. So to your, your point, they're correct. It's M. Shapiro, that's their biggest property manager, but they don't do coastal cities though. So M. Shapiro, uh, they do mostly from the, the Rocky States to, I think, Florida, but they're, they're in, our, in our region. They're the biggest property manager. That's who we're using. Uh, they have about 34,000 lots under management. They have like, I think, Apollo and uh, Blackstone is, you know, obviously the two biggest private equity firms, two of the three biggest private equity firms in the world. So they, they manage their uh, portfolio. Uh, but in technology side, it comes down to a lot of like, just like the basic, you know, just the operational efficiency. So for example, for our fund, we use, we have like a login portal. I'm going to say the other funds have this too, but just having a portal, you can see the, you know, acquisitions we're doing, communication. And then for, you uh, you know, there's a couple different, you know, property manager softwares. They're not that great, uh, but I mean, there's there's still room for improvement. Uh, but the, the, the real picture is just using technology and just kind of implementing it comes down to like just the marketing side of it and just being keeping track of everything. So, like being efficient, keeping track of all your data, systems, processes, that's the key. Because I remember we were dealing with Farmer Joe developed the park in 70s, 80s, and 90s. Most of books, it's not in QuickBooks. It's probably in a piece of paper. <laughs> Here's like twenty pieces of paper. That's what I do. And then also my daughter, who doesn't work in the park, she gets you know eighty thousand dollars a year salary. So just having taken that, you know, underwriting correctly, putting it into systems of process, and actually having you know QuickBooks and actually efficient models. That's half the battle. And then another half the battle is. I mean, I just talk to I just and you know we do a lot of marketing, so I get sometimes people small owners will call me like sometimes we'll have thirty forty thousand dollars salaries for you know small parks like fifty seventy five units. I'm like that should be five or eight thousand dollars salary you know seven ten bucks, <laughs> and there's no reason to pay somebody thirty five thousand dollars to go collect you know, $150,000, $200,000 in rent. That doesn't even make logical sense, but you see it all the time. You see it all the time in your industry. That's how, and that's huge for us as investors and and just operational efficiency. So like little things like that, it's such a unique industry because we, the biggest challenges obviously are the grandfather laws and like the city is, you know, don't really like parks. And you know, obviously that's why we have to lower taxes generally. But the big thing is a lot of times you have the old school owner Second, third generation owner that literally is not maximizing the property because they don't care. They developed in the seventies, eighties. It's completely paid off. They're multimillion dollar uh, multimillionaire. They have you know four or five hundred thousand dollars a year coming in, and they live in a, a second and tertiary market where the average house is one hundred fifty thousand dollars. They're kings. You know, it's like having a twenty million dollar house in L.A. Like equivalent. Mm-hmm. Like you know, when they have that much more than the average person in your town, they don't. They're not looking to you know maximize the rent and be operational efficient and
1: they're happy. No, I, I, I love it. What, so what, how do you get the people to on the parks? And maybe you just answered that is still the old school ways to try and transition them to like a rent cafe or paying online. So you don't have to have that manual labor or is it just so far gone that most of your tenants just like, no, I, I can only collect the rent through, through a warm body walking door to door, knocking on the doors.
0: Well, I'm familiar with Run Cafe because my, my luxury buildings have used it <laughs> for the last five years. And they're they actually coming out with a platform to come into the mobile home park space. And they're trying to like perfect it. And what they're trying to do, and they just actually called me like two days ago. But they, they haven't got, like because they're really big in the multifamily space, but they haven't got a platform exactly correlates to your question. Because they haven't like figured out. The small town, like, some people have to drop off the check at the Walmart, the KC's, or whatever the, you know, the local gas station is. And so, they're trying to figure out a way to do that and integrate with the banks. It's so great question, because our industry is, like, it's got some weird anomalies. Like, you know, like, when you're dealing with, you know, like, you know, Rank Cafe and your, you know, apartments, the average national apartments, $1,200, and, like, a luxury apartment in most cities, like, you know, 2500 to $4,000, 5000 6000 a month. Most people are just in their credit cards, you know, direct to know withdraw from the bank when you're dealing with somebody that makes significantly less it, and money comes becomes in different issues so that that's the biggest hiccup there right now so you know what you typically do is we work with like for example our, our personal parks we have like local community banks where they just drop off the check and then we have like a five-day you know just like a regular apartment building we're five days to get it in and then we we don't care about the we're not looking to get the fifty dollar late fee we don't that's not our business model but well, we just want to encourage them to pay on time. And so the biggest, but the thing is, they know which our niche is great because A, they use their social security. And if you have social security, you just work with them. You know, sometimes like, for example, if it's like someone that's just barely going to buy, we'll, we'll keep, we won't try to squeeze them out. Like raise, you know, obviously we want to raise rents every few years and, you know, park efficiencies, bring in, you know, better amenities. But if it's like a senior citizen that, just getting by well like hey we'll power wash that for free we'll paint that unit for free even if it's three or five hundred bucks we'll just do that because that also creates a better community for everyone else like oh that she just did hers you know like it creates a community feel so yeah it's you know we obviously want to maximize we make our cash and cash and uh, cap rates but just doing a little it's kind of giving back to the people that need it the most so Mm -hmm. i think we'll go back to your question with the in regards to the payments that's kind of the biggest thing. but Most they, they pay on time. Like we already know that the eighty five percent collection rate. And for we don't like to have it with the managers. We want to have it with a local bank or like a you know a rent manager type system. So
1: interesting, interesting. I I, I always like to hear about that stuff. And that's again the technology that I take for granted in the mobile in the, in the multifamily space that i feel place, would, yeah, would would, would would be awesome. But then you've got to go back to who your demographic yeah. is, right? And I'm sure a lot of, and I'm not trying to paint a broad brush here, but maybe a lot of them don't have bank accounts, right? They're paying through checks or or, or cash and it's it's a, just a different mindset of how yeah. they handle their money. And so thus you only, can only bring them so far, right? You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. So yeah, having, all these that. technologies, it <laughs> having, having all these technologies, people might not even use it because they don't have the backend system set up themselves personally to have it from a credit card to a bank account to pay you, it's it's, it's more old school way of yep. going and getting a cashier's check and then having to you know, pay it at a petrol station and get it into your account. So th- that that seems to be the, the the some of the biggest challenges to these technology companies trying to break into an yep. industry that has historically been um, a, a set in its ways in terms of how people are paid.
0: Yeah, you're 100 right. And so and so you have that that so from the investor side of it, or taking it over a park, it's like okay. We want to mitigate the office manager and the office manager. We don't want to have, you know, cash in a box that's sitting in there. We don't want to have somebody that can take the cash and be like, hey, they didn't pay. So you want to mitigate that risk where, like, somebody's this trustworthy distrustworthy. They can just pocket one person per month, two, two per month. That's 500 extra money per month to them, $6,000. And you never know. People, you know, like people – If cash is in front of them and they didn't have to go deposit, you know, like they can say, hey, you know, Sarah didn't pay the, the, you know, or Bob didn't pay the bill and they pocketed those $400. Like, no, I dropped it in the box. Like, so we want to eliminate that. So we, we want to say, hey, drop it onto like a bank or use like an online paying system. And so, and then obviously you have like the credit card fee. So then you want to charge, you know, three and a quarter We always, you know, we, I, uh, even for my digital agency, I was like, hey, just convenience fee, it's three and a quarter or whatever. The if I'm not making money on it. I'm just paying, you know, the credit card processing fee, but it, like saves you time driving, you know, or wasting gas going there. So, uh, but yeah, you're hundred percent right. Just that whole, our industry is different than, because we're dealing with a different demographic like you alluded to. So we're not some people might be working in different industries where they might be busy for a few months and then they have to like met the money flow. And so they can't have a direct deposit. So they have to put in the credit card or whatever they have to do. And so just being cognizant of that. And so the technology companies have the biggest issue of like, how can we integrate this where it's like streamlined where it's like, Hey, we have one check coming in, you know, 20 checks at the bank, Walmart, Dropbox here. And like, and there's, yeah. There's a couple. There's a couple different software companies are trying to figure it out, but they haven't figured it out yet. They're, and I, we have conversations, but they haven't really figured it out to be optimized. But the, for optimization for technology, the angle is marketing side, Facebook, websites, um, and then just keeping track digitally instead of on a piece of paper. And so, like, hey, the office manager rates us. You know, you know, this person paid on a piece of paper. No, like, where is it at? When they pay. So it's all streamlined. And then you get, there's actually some softwares too now that you could actually, you know, put a red red or green box and they paid like kind of the monopoly side. It's kind of cool. <laughs>
1: <So>. <laughs> and you let the property management company deal with all that, yep. right? Yeah. Cool.
0: And you just oversee cool. it. And then just being the op- an it's basically trust would verify Ronald Reagan over the shoulder management, see the cash flows, and then also being boots in the ground. So, like, in our industry, it's like, or any other industry, like when you, your properties, you pop in once in a while, keep people on their toes on a Tuesday.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Just pop in on Tuesday. Like, oh, yeah, I didn't expect you. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. You no, never
0: yeah. know at seven o'clock on a Thursday. Like, oh. So then they're like, yeah. oh, he could be here between here or at nine o'clock on a, on, a, on a Sunday.
1: Yep. And then that's the, the the business of real estate, regardless of what industry you in are in, is making sure it's a people management game, right? It's always about making sure you know the tenants are paying. If you don't have the tenants, you don't have a business. But yep. making sure the people who are stewarding though the 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 checks or the money or the, the overseeing the books are doing it correctly because you don't want the business to be stuffed up. So there's a lot of moving pieces, but it all comes down to that management of people and having 100%. good expectations, and having quality good, people and quality quality people. people, and that comes down to a little bit of quality culture in the business, yep. making sure you're empowering people, not just dictating them and saying, "Hey, you need to do this." It's like right. making, you 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 bringing from a leadership point of view um, and, and those, you talk about the, the spot checks that you come in on a Sunday or a Thursday night, it's more to keep them on their toes, but also to help set a precedent that, Hey, nothing's going to slip through the cracks here and we want to run, run a tight ship. So yeah, completely love that stuff. So my, my question as we come to the end of the show is where's the industry going? You know, like we've got this ceiling on, on, you said 45, 40, 44,000 parks across the country. There's only that many parks going to be built. Unlike multifamily it seems like a new multifamily has been built every two seconds you know, it's affordable, people want to be in it. So are you, you know, what are you seeing? Where are you seeing the industry going, considering that you've been involved, you know, from 20 years ago when you had some incredible golden years, as you said earlier?
0: Yeah, no, hundred percent. So here's, here's the, here's what we're seeing. So if you go to like the trade shows, there's a couple of big trade shows, MHI in Vegas, there's a mobile home show for actual the homes in Louisville every year. There's a couple of smaller trade shows. Uh, one in Mississippi. Well, everything has been canceled last year, obviously, besides early last year. Um, and so you have two schools of thought. So you have the tradition, like the new school, private equity, the fun guys, like, okay, we're going to take advantage of this time. We're going to improve the operational efficiencies. Uh, we're going to, like, another thing you have to think of, too, a lot of these old school guys, the mom and pop, some of these guys have just literally just blooded the properties dry. So you come in, you could actually, you know, Fix the units, bring in a better quality tenant, bring in new rules and regulations. You know, put in new roads, trim the trees. All the, you know, throwing a little dog park, a little red fire hydrant. <laughs> like I just think I go past the apartment, like you know, throw a couple <laughs> menus. <laughs> but now you can charge and throw in a bingo room, like you charge you know, fifty yep. bucks ethically, and they're like, hey, we put in all this, we you know, and we have to pay new taxes because we took it over, obviously. Taxes changes um so you have the two schools of fumble where it's out there that just like dilapidated and like didn't you know they ran to the ground you know if they had 56 years they didn't put the capex into it they just like hey i already have this cash flow coming in the new school guys were like hey we can bring this in and this is like affordable housing so we can take this to the next level then the government's the other third party they're like hey we don't really like this because either the stigma or the taxation or you know, it's just like this great area. There's a lot of grandfather laws. So like the biggest thing, if you're doing like this uh, secondary tertiary markets, there's very few. If you ever see, there's some cities that might have grandfather. They might have had a park pre for before some you know buildings came around it. But most of the time, it's always second It's like 30 minutes outside the city, 50 minutes outside the city, three hours outside the city, and those are still cash flow. Well, you're never gonna see one like, and like I'm in Miami right now. You're not gonna see one like downtown Miami. Right, <laughs> it's never <right>. gonna happen. <laughs> they rather have the taxation purpose for the city. Like did it like in the, you know, the, people don't want to see that. And this, and so the new schools thought of is it, like, hey, we can bring in the new homes. The average new home is about eighty thousand dollars. The Clayton Homes is the biggest. They develop about fifty percent of new homes. Warren Buffett's the biggest. He owns it actually. Uh, you know, Berkshire. And they develop about fifteen percent. There's about hundred thousand new homes a year. Right. And during the nineties, there was a big rush. There was like I think three to four hundred thousand homes, but they had these crazy long thirty like traditional, you know, home finance um, banknotes. But then the thing about mobile homes, they don't actually go up in value, <laughs> typically. You know, typically it's like kind of depreciating an asset. So it's kind of like it's kind of like buying like a car. Like they, it's considered a title, and most you know, like that's basically what it is. And like, there's a certain point where it kind of breaks even, but like if you buy a 15, $20,000 mobile home in most states, are will probably break even for five or 10 years, but you save the money and the equity portion on the taxes. You're not paying, remember I said, $150,000 a house in Chicago, or like outside of this uh, Illinois or even outside of Chicago, $3,000 a year. A mobile home, you know, 20 minutes away or across the street, $100 a year. That's your equity, you know, $3,000 <laughs> in savings and tax basis so the new school thought is kind of like hey how can we take this to the next level this should, should be the no affordable avenue we are, we're looking for you know section a there's a such a shortage of affordable housing this is the industry and we have the tiny house movement we could see like now we're seeing some stuff with la they're saying hey these like little pods and AODs. i think they're called like auxiliary yep, yep. Or something mm, uh, access unit. yeah yeah so trying to f- solve that problem but the it just, it just, it's kind of like there's two things going at the same time. You have the old school guys and the new, and then the private equity trying to take it to a new level, and then the government saying, "Hey, we're trying to figure this out ourselves." So, it's going to be fascinating to see. But like, if for the investor side, if, so if you're looking for investor side, if it's eighty thousand dollars for the new, you know, fifty that's to eighty thousand dollars new home. Plus, if it's fifty thousand dollars, you have to actually bring in the, you know, is the infrastructure set in? Is like all that stuff set in? Usually, ten to fifteen thousand dollars a pad. Okay so it's basically developing a subdivision but way cheaper About 30 price of like a small you know single family house in a, you know secondary share market okay but if you're developing 100 of 200 units that's 6 8 you know 10 million dollars That kind of deplete, like, so the investor side of it, they're like, hey, we'd rather buy a cash flowing property that already is established. We already know the cap rates, the bank's going to finance it. Fannie Freddie is going to give incredible terms because they have the duty to serve acts, which I have to allocate 37% to affordable housing, which we're the biggest uh, proponent of it. Let's just take something that's already cash flowing, put in operational efficiency. So we have these two different, like, ball games, and it's going to be fascinating to see. But I think the industry is, in my personal opinion, I think the industry is going to be the private it's going to be super consolidated it's like when you talk to any of the uh assisted living people or not assisted living i'm sorry uh self-storage people and some of the other niche you know alternative assets we're like five years behind five to seven years behind and i think five seven years from now it's going to be just a regular asset class and there's gonna be some there's gonna be some room and angles but it's gonna be all relationship driven at that point and it's gonna be just a normal real estate class at that point i, I I'm not going to be super excited about. It. I like I like helping people and providing the affordable housing, but it's not going to be like, oh my gosh, this is like the best real estate. Such a, you know, you know, it's like that. it's like the uh, orange cloth. You know, the, mm-hmm. the I think the big idea. It's not. You're not gonna be like, it's not going to be. It's not going to be the big idea anymore. It's going like, okay, I've heard of that, but that was
1: seven years ago. Awesome, awesome stuff, mate. Well, look, at the end of every show, we like to dive into the top five investing tips. It's a lightning round of five questions. You ready to get into it? Let's do it. Mate, what is the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals?
0: I think working out every day, waking up every day, working out being focused. And when I didn't do that, like it gives like, you can see the difference. It gives like, give it the energy. And so like, I didn't have a bang today, but if I had normally bang, I'd be like, talking like three times faster, but it just me that energy and just be able all the, get through the, the challenges and tribulations every day. It just gives that you know, tenacity basically.
1: Awesome, awesome. Question number two is, who is the most influential person in your career to date?
0: most influential i'd probably say james cook my former partner i'm gonna see him tomorrow i'm in Miami right now um probably most with the best broker probably in the industry from a loan park space and like when we partnered up he was so light years for his age he was so light years of anybody i've ever seen the brokerage side or like business side from our age group i was like mind blown he was so just he just saw opportunities that I learned how to discover opportunities and create value and being creative that I'd never discovered from anybody else i ever met before.
1: Awesome stuff. Awesome stuff. Uh, what is the number or the most influential tool in your business? And when I say tool, I mean, it could be a physical tool like a phone or a journal, or it could be a piece of software that you use and you can't run the business without. What is it?
0: I would say my phone, because I have, like, my, my phone and my laptop, like, literally, if you see my browser right now, <laughs> I have, like, 100 apps, and, like, so I can't just d- define it as one. I just, like, I I love technology, obviously, as a digital agency side, so I can't just like, define it one. I, if I, I, I guess if you want to define it as one, I think it would be, like, Slack, just for you know, efficiency and communication, but overall, I love software, as I'm, like, you know, I just love being... You know efficiency tracking everything and just having just the resources on your fingertips like this
1: love it love it stuff all right what in one sentence what has been the biggest failure in your career and what did you learn from that failure or that that lesson i should say
0: i would say the last on turn i bought a house 2000 or actually kind of 2006 and it was uh you know neighborhood only it was like the number two country like all these different magazines that are like, Hey, this is one of the best places to live in America, best schools, best place to raise a kid, and like, Oh, this could be a great investment. And then, and A, I learned that Illinois is terrible for <laughs> residential at least. And uh, B, I like, I'd rather buy commercial properties. I could get if I want to buy something, I want to have an income producing property. It gives me the tax benefits, it gives me the stability and the cash flow to buy whatever else I want from that cash flow from the commercial. As they said, it's stable. And so learning that when at your early age was a great benefit.
1: Awesome stuff, mate. And final question is where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. Where do they go?
0: Yeah. So uh for the we have two websites, so Midwest Per Capital, that's the kind of general overview. And then Midwest Per Capital Fund dot com. That's kind of the that's the PPM. So if they're a credit investor and they actually want to, you know, divide you know divide it more into the details, that's the way to go. And then they just log in and we give them an account.
1: Awesome stuff, mate. Well, I want to thank you so much for jumping on the show today. I think I had a really good conversation and understanding of where you think the mobile home park industry is going. It's so interesting to see a person like yourself who's been investing since the early 2000s. You've seen that compression come. And then where do you think it's going given that it's got a ceiling, but also given – the incredible opportunities from a technology point of view are bringing it into a space that is being quite archaic. And my analogy about the gold, the gold digging, and it, it wasn't it wasn't necessarily the, the digging for the gold that made you the money. It was actually the guy who was selling the spades and the, the wheelbarrows and the ropes and the supplies to go and dig for that gold. And I think it's the same. It seems like it's the same space right now for technology companies to come in and really, really disrupt uh, the industry. Um, did I leave anything out in that summary?
0: No, you're 100% right. And then like the opportunity is like one of the funds like us. That's uh, the easiest way to get involved in the space. And we always saw our investors like invest in a couple of funds. Like it, if you're looking in the space, it's way easier to learn from other people that have the experience of track record, and the deal flow and especially off market and have the systems process and systems already in place. Take advantage of that. It's going to be so like all the stuff you see online for like the deal flow. It's every deal that's, online that you see in front of everyone else has already been passed on like just like multifamily so take advantage of the people that have the deal flow if you want to get in the space it's it's a great niche let's let the experts kind of like run with it multiply your money take advantage of the tax benefits and you know help the space
1: awesome stuff mate well look i want to thank you again for taking some time out of your day to jump on the show enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up very very soon well there you have another cracking episode jam packed with some incredible stuff from Jonathan if you are interested in learning about anything he is he does with his mobile home park space do remember to head over to midwestparkcapital.com check everything out over there definitely doing some incredible stuff in the technology space as well to disrupt an industry that is coming that is you know, blowing up in, in literally the, the, the terms of so many people coming to invest in that space. So you wanna be investing with someone who knows exactly what they're doing. I wanna thank you all again for taking some time to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ. And the easiest way to give back to this show is to give it a five-star review on iTunes. Give it a big thumbs up. Thank you very much. We, if you do take the time out to do it. And we're gonna do it all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack.